Help us to remember that, Lord, when we hear that your voice is silent, when our prayers don't seem to be answered. Maybe when it seems like we're in a situation that you've brought us to and yet you've not made a way out yet for us, help us to remember that you will. We thank you, God, for this time. We thank you for this place. We thank you for the word that you've given to Pastor Joe. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this beautiful book that contains everything that we need to know, every story, every character, every former brother and sister who has been through something. And by your grace alone, you got it written down for us. So however many years later, we can continue to be awed and inspired and learn from you. Father, thank you for this time. Give us, give us humble, open hearts to hear the word that you've given to Pastor Joe today. Bless him. Bless our time in the name of your son. Amen. A couple things. First of all, it is true, scientifically speaking, that if you go to the beach without going to church on Memorial Day weekend, your your sunburn lasts until the groundhog shows his face or something like that. It's something to do with the... Yeah, something Punxsutawney, Phil, I don't, I don't know, something like that. So, but those of you that are here, I'm glad to have you here. I'm just going to tell you right now, I am not happy about today's passage. I don't like it. I don't want to preach it. I don't want anything to do with it. But because we go chapter by chapter, book by book, verse by verse, I have to. So the question is, have you ever felt abandoned by God? Like, uh, no matter what you did, nothing seemed to work out for you in Egypt. And for those of you that aren't aware, uh, this Surviving in Egypt, this, this series on Life of Joseph, Egypt is a metaphor for the world around us. <clears throat> and we're on lesson 10 called Frustration in Egypt. You ever been in those times where, it's, where it looks like, okay, finally... Things are coming around. I can now see, boy, I was worried before, but I can see God's plan coming together. And then it doesn't. At least from your perspective, his plan doesn't come together. And the reason is is because whether you want to admit it or not, we have certain earthly expectations from God or for God in exchange for our faithful service. When we're doing what God has called us to do and what we're supposed to do, we assume that there are certain things that will happen as a result of that to maybe make life in Egypt just a little bit easier. We would never dare state that publicly, of course. I mean, unless you're one of those health and wealth churches, which we're not. But when God's plan doesn't seem to line up with logic, with fairness, It's okay to admit that we can get a little frustrated. Man, God, what are you doing? I don't like this sermon. I don't like this passage. I don't like what God does to Joseph. And when I read it, I get angry at the people that betrayed him, and I get a little frustrated with God. So let's read it and get all frustrated together, shall we? All right. Let me move this back so I don't get it. So this is right after Joseph says to the cupbearer and the baker, if you were here last week, tell me what your dreams are that are troubling you. I'll interpret them. And here's what happened. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said, in my dream, there was a vine before me 
And on the vine, there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of your dream. The three branches are the three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Remember, the cupbearer is in jail. This is pretty good news, right? <clears throat> what? Are you serious? So in other words, you're telling me that the dream that I had that troubled me, that it's actually good news? That the, the Pharaoh will realize that I was falsely accused and he will restore me to my position? And by the way, the cupbearer, a very important trusted position, somebody who got to see the king every day. You mean to tell me this nightmare of three days in prison is almost over? That's fantastic. Thank you, Joseph. That's so encouraging. Only, Joseph says to the cupbearer, only this, remember me when it starts to go, when it is well with you, when all this comes to pass. Joseph knew it was going to happen. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh so to get me out of this house. The, uh, the, the King Joe English would read, get me out of this hellhole. But that's what it says there, house. <laughs> For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I have done nothing that they should put me into this pit. I'm falsely accused. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable to the cupbearer, he says to Joseph, oh, by the way, I had a dream. Can you tell me what's going on? Here's the dream. There were three cake baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is the interpretation. The three baskets are three days, very similar to the one he had just interpreted. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you <laughs> and hang you on a tree and the birds will eat flesh from you. Yeah, that's not good, right? That's, that's, that's bad. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to him. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Think about this scene. The chief cupbearer hears the interpretation. It's a good one. And he goes to this party. And the king says, I have learned at this point, the cupbearer doesn't deserve to die. As a matter of fact, you should be restored. But you, baker, you're toast. You would think that the cupbearer would be, wow, Joseph was right. Pharaoh, can I just tell you something? You know, Joseph was in prison, this guy, and he interpreted my dream correctly and said this was going to happen. You understand, we explained this last week, dream interpretation was a very sought-after skill. So it would have been good for the cupbearer to remember, but of course he doesn't. So we look at three applications of each passage at Grace Life. The historical, what about man? What did he do and why and how did he do it? We look at the, the spiritual, what about God? What does he do and why and how does he do it? And then and only then can we really practically and in the correct way look at the personal. What about me? What do I do and what and how am I supposed to do it? First thing I want you to see, there's three days to freedom. These guys have nowhere else to turn. There are no other options. The only thing they have is to turn to Joseph, who says, let me help you with these troubling dreams. And the baker 
seems hesitant because, you know, he doesn't want to go first. I don't want to hear. I don't trust. But the cupbearer is anxious. And he, the cupbearer goes first and here's my dream. I speculate, this is pure speculation on my part, but I speculate that the cupbearer knew he was innocent of something. And I think the baker probably knew opposite. The interpretation of the cupbearer is just wonderful news. In three days, he'll be restored. That's what happens here. And Joseph says, listen, I know it's great news for you. And I know I've encouraged you. And I know that I interpreted this dream correctly because all this is going to happen. You might be hesitant to believe me, but it is going to happen. And so Joseph has absolute confidence in what God has told him. So he tells his story to the cupbearer. Listen, here's what happened. I was falsely accused of rape. I'm in prison where I shouldn't be. Can you please let the king know? He doesn't ask this as a condition. Look, I'm getting ready to tell you your dream, but before I do, can you promise to do this? He does it unconditionally. He interprets the dream. He tells uh, the cupbearer what God says, and he delivers the news. And after the fact, he asks for a favor. I mean, it seems a logical thing to do, right? Joseph is probably thinking, wow, this is great. God gave me this gift of interpreting dreams. He's put these two people, one of which is one of the closest people to the king. This is surely my way out. Man, God, was this your plan all along? This is amazing. God, you're really smart. I love this plan. So he takes advantage of what he seems to think is clearly God giving him an opportunity. Then he turns to the uh, baker. You have three days to live. The baker hears the good news, and now he wants his own ray of Joseph-laced sunshine. But Joseph says, your head is going to be lifted right off your body. In the same amount of time, you will be executed for your crimes. I mean, and considering what we learned last week, his earlier clear compassion for these guys, he saw them, they were troubled, they were disturbed, and he says, please, just tell me your dreams, let me help. We can speculate that when Joseph was telling the cupbearer, ah, oh, dude, you're toast. This is going to be awesome. Man, I wish I could be there. You're, you're done, baker. I don't think Joseph enjoyed it like that. I think when Joseph was saying this, he was saying, dude, not good news. We can speculate he didn't enjoy this particular word from God very much, but he does not compromise it. He does not soft pedal it. He does not sugarcoat it. He says, look, here's what God said. Imagine how Joseph must have felt delivering this news to the baker on the heels of this great news to the cupbearer. Now, before I go to the next part, I want to say as a little, as a little side thing here. It's kind of like that with the word of God. There are some things in God's word that I don't like to preach. Some of them are coming up here in the next year or so, and we go through the book of Romans. But we have to preach what it says, what God's word says we have to say. And that's what Joseph does here. It would have been much easier for Joseph to say, oh, that was your dream? Oh, yeah, everything's going to be fine. No problem, Baker, you're good. But he speaks the truth. And then, of course, we see the rest of the story out of sight, out of mind. Of course, the cupbearer doesn't remember Joseph. He gets his old life back. He's in the king's good graces. Things are going so well for him. He doesn't give Joseph a second thought. Meanwhile, Joseph goes back to his dark, dank dungeon cell, wondering 
waiting, and no doubt frustrated with God. I mean, you see what I mean? It's maddening to read this. Don't you think it's a little unfair of God the way he's treating Joseph? I mean, if you were in Joseph's shoes, you would be very frustrated and don't lie and say, oh, no, I would just take it. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. You wouldn't be frustrated. Come on. Look, I have felt this way that Joseph felt in my life. Frankly, in ministry, I've felt this way. Obviously, for much smaller reasons, but there are times where I've tried to serve people faithfully and give and sacrifice time with my family, sacrifice money, sacrifice all these things. And I'm thinking, surely these people will know that I love them and they will be around. Nope. As soon as things are good, don't see them. It's frustrating. There are times where I've served God in ministry, and you know this feeling too, probably, where I've served God and I'm thinking, surely I'm doing what God wants. God is going to smile upon me. And then tragedy comes. Times that I was doing God's work and life stayed the same or just got worse and worse and worse. I mean, think about it, church. Joseph does a really good job. He predicted the future for free. And God lets this guy forget him? I mean, come on, God. Does Joseph really have to wait two more years in this Egyptian prison? I am so angry with God right now, church. I mean, how could he forget Joseph like this? It's unfair. I mean, why would anyone want to serve a ridiculous God like this? That's it. I quit. Today's my last sermon. I'm done. Some of y'all are nervous. <laughs> I mean, why don't more of us quit? Especially when Egypt constantly seems to win. Even when we're doing our best to be obedient. I mean, I imagine in my head a picture of Joseph's emotions and his spirituality and his heart are just hanging by a thread. He's in prison. He's saying, what is going on? It's been a month since I told the cupbearer to remember me. Now it's been two months. Now it's been three months. Here comes another Egyptian Christmas past. I don't think they had Christmas in Jesus. I'm just. <laughs> two years go by. Nothing. That's what I think is going on in Joseph's head. At least if I were Joseph, that's what I'd be thinking. So let's talk about the spiritual. What about God? What does he do? I want to talk about how faith overcomes frustration. Here's the uh, social media campaign I did for, uh, for the sermon this week. Be honest. Sometimes trusting God's plan can be very frustrating. How long can we hang on? What we see here is that the Bible is silent on Joseph's life for the next two years. We don't really see much. All we know is that he was in prison and nothing changed. The fact is, he was there not because of anything he did. He wasn't even there because of a false accusation. Did you know that? I mean, we like to blame Potiphar's wife, but in the reality, he was there because God wanted him there. And that's the part, frankly, that sucks the most, I think. He is forced to wait in discomfort, in prison. He is forced to be patient. But he's also forced, while also forced to being patient and being in prison, he's forced to be faithful. 
all while living in uncertainty. Hello, God, are you there? And you know, David captures the emotion of what Joseph must have been feeling for those two long additional years in prison. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul? In other words, how long do I really have to act like I'm okay with this? How long can I have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Church, let me ask you, what exactly is the God part of this passage? What is the spiritual application you think I should be preaching? I mean, we know Joseph has been given by God the ability to interpret these dreams. One is good news, the other is grim. He asked for help from the cupbearer, but the cupbearer doesn't keep his promise. He, he forgot after three days. Imagine how hard it must have been for Joseph at this point. He's human. He's not a robot. You think he doubted God? I mean, here he is serving in Egypt. He does it with integrity. And the only things left, logically speaking, is what? God's blessing, right? That should kind of be how it ends, with God's blessing. But it took two years before it would play out in his favor. I mean, come on, God. What are you thinking? Not only is Joseph a victim of serial human betrayal, his brothers, Potiphar's wife, the cupbearer, but really, isn't God to blame for letting all this happen in the first place? I mean, how can we believe these promises even when we can't see evidence of God's presence in our ridiculous Egyptian circumstances? How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I think about this in my mind and heart and soul and have sorrow all the day? How long are you going to let the bad people win? What's the answer? As long as it takes. Later, of course, we find out that the cupbearer did remember Joseph. And it says... He really says, I, I've sinned. He says in Genesis 41, 9, then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. I met this Hebrew in jail. He was in there falsely accused of rape. And he wanted me to tell you about it, but I forgot. But he can help you with your dream, Pharaoh. That's next week. But it was two years Two years later that God finally brings what seems the logical circumstances that make the cupbearer remember that he should have done two years earlier. God doesn't do it. And somehow, all that time, here's what we know about Joseph. He remains faithful in his service of the prison master and of his God. Tell me what you think that was. Did he accomplish something none of us would be able to do? Deuteronomy 31, verse 8, It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Sounds a little ridiculous, doesn't it? 
But this is the type of promise that's all throughout Scripture. But it's not just reading it that brings peace. I mean, you know, like when somebody is struggling and hurting and you read a verse, sometimes the response can be, don't bring that stuff in here right now. I don't want to hear it. So it's not just reading it that makes things better. It's the combination. This is important. It is the combination of knowing the promise with a calling of God on your life for his purpose. It's an unconditional promise that God makes that he'll be with you no matter what. No matter how we ever respond to our circumstances, good or bad, God says, I will be with you. This is the reason Joseph was able to endure immense frustration in Egypt with how his life was playing out. And with that in mind, it goes perfectly to our personal. What about you? What about us? What are we supposed to do? Enduring Egyptian frustration. So during the social media campaign, every once in a while, people make comments. This is the one that popped up. Isn't that a good one, guys? <laughs> Stephanie Slavinsky put that up. Your plan, it's just, it's a little bit uphill. I mean, because we're reasonable. We, it's a little bit of work. But then God's plan, there's the rock, and the pit, and there's the bridge, and there's the boat, and then up in the end. It's rough. We have no clue what will happen next. And God knows these things can leave us scratching our heads. That is why God's sovereign plan and calling for us also, this is great, listen, this is important. God's calling and plan also includes for us allowances for human frustration. Isn't that great? Because here's the bottom line, we know this, Egypt breaks promises. Later, we know that Joseph was put in charge of Egypt. But here's the fact. Most of us never get to have our story end running Egypt. Billions and billions of people that are going through hard times as children of God, similar things to Joseph, they don't get to run Egypt in the end. Striving to be faithful to God and those they love, yet it seems time and time again, God allows Egypt to spit in their face. And that pain may not even end in two years. So in many ways, many of us have it worse than Joseph. For some, the need to endure frustration in Egypt may very well be open-ended. That being said, while Egypt breaks promises, God keeps his. Let me read you a verse. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, we like to think that the for good thing means that we have a smooth path, that we get to run Egypt, that we get out of jail when we think we should get out. Yet that part of the calling is to endure even when on the surface God's plan seems unfair, burdensome, and frustrating. R.C. Sproul says it really good. I love what he says here. In theory, it is easy to understand the premise that all things work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. But to get this into our bloodstreams is another matter. 
It is one of the most difficult tasks of the practicing Christian. It involves not only believing in God, but believing God. You know, no, R.C. Sproul didn't say that. I did. Just take that name off. <laughs> Joe Davis says, to do what R.C. Sproul is talking about, to have faith that God is faithful even in our frustration, that church is where the supernatural comes in. To be able to endure frustration in Egypt only comes when God has imparted to us the miraculous, supernatural, non-human gift of faith. The ability to believe. The faith we learn about in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And even that faith is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works or else you'd brag. And that faith is the reason why God's children won't quit. Earlier when I said I was quitting, you know I was joking, right? I'm not quitting. If I was going to quit, I would have done so already. Isaiah 49, 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? That's a hypothetical or that's a theoretical. That's something really hard to have happen. And he follows up with, even these might forget, yet I will not forget you. Look, church, it is not wrong to feel frustrated with God. It is not wrong to feel betrayed and frustrated by the cupbearers in your life. Especially since we don't really know what's next. But here's what I can tell you. It is wrong for children of God to be stuck there. In frustration. In bitterness. In resentment. And it is wrong to turn your back on the gift of faith, on your God. But here's what we learn from Joseph's story. And this is the part that I like. This is the part that made me decide not to quit. His gift of faith enabled him and it enables us as children of God to transcend our circumstances. It was the gift of faith from Ephesians 2. It was the gift of faith that God gave Joseph that enabled him to hang on for two more years. It's the same faith that God has given to you, given to us, the day that you personally embrace the gospel and the cross and the resurrection of Jesus and put your faith and hope in those things for your redemption, not your religion, not your accomplishment, not your ability to somehow please God with how well you work, you recognized one day when God gave you the gift of faith, I can't do this, I have but one hope. Jesus, the cross, the resurrection. And when that happens, that faith that God gives you, that day that you realize my soul is no longer in my own hands or in the church's hands, it is in God's hands because of the work of Christ. That day, this verse applied to you. Hebrews 10, 39, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith, which is a gift, and persevere our souls. God's promises combined with the supernatural gift 
of faith enable God's children to endure all the peaks and all the valleys that inevitably come from serving him while we live in Egypt. That faith empowers us to serve with integrity like Joseph did, even when Egyptian circumstances are just overwhelming us. The faith in God's promises will always overcome the most intense frustration Egypt has to offer. Supernaturally, through this gift of faith, we will endure frustration in Egypt and we will supernaturally, because of faith, see God's presence regardless of what comes. How? We will see it first of all. We will see his presence in his promises. We will see it in his word, and we will see it with our relationship with his people. Don't pretend that you can survive in Egypt without God's people and God's word. You are delusional if you think you can. It's the supernatural combination of these three things that will empower his children to transcend these circumstances. In fact, I know with great confidence, there is nothing Egypt can bring that would make me quit. And I'm not saying that because I'm such a good guy. Well, Pastor Joe, of course, no, I'm a sinner. I struggle. I get frustrated. I can promise you this. Nothing Egypt will ever do to me will make me quit. Do you know why? Because of the gift of faith. Trust me. With what Egypt has dished out to me, to our family, I would have already done quit by now if I was going to. Did I just say it like that, like a southerner? I would be done quit. So I guess with all this in mind, I've decided not to quit today after all. And for those of you that have been empowered with the gift of faith to trust Christ with the gospel, for those of you that have seen, look, my salvation hinges upon the supernatural ability to believe in and trust in the resurrection of Jesus. For those of you that have been empowered by that gift of faith to trust Christ, you know as well as I do right now that no matter what frustration and hardship Egypt may bring, you're never going to quit either. We are not those who shrink back and are destroyed. But we are those who have faith and persevere our souls. Dad, we're so thankful that even in the midst of ridiculous, frustrating Egyptian circumstances, your gift of faith will supernaturally enable us to cling to you, to cling to your promises, to cling to the gospel, to know that even in the midst of hardship, we can have joy, the supernatural satisfaction with the presence of God in our lives over anything Egypt has to offer. And thank you, God, that we can have confidence no matter what Egypt may bring. We will never, ever quit.